Anti-Semitism appears to be rearing its ugly head once more. In one of our articles on pointofinformation.co.uk, Frank Allen, in the strongest of terms, called for the halting of this revival. Britain, Hungary, France, Germany and Austria, to name but a few, are all experiencing this phenomenon. It appears to be a global trend. But what has caused this resurgence and what continues to fuel it? A Labour response to the source article cited nationalism as a driving factor, indicating that this brings many to not accept Jews as members of the citizenry. Or is this an extrapolation of general xenophobia experienced by Muslims, Jews and European immigrants all the same? Of course, if we are to discuss anti-Semitism, we would be loath to forget the Israel debate. Can one critique the state of Israel, both its actions and its existence? Can one be anti-Zionist and not be anti-Semitic? I'm your host, Alexander Dennis, and welcome to POI Podcasts. So this week, I'm joined by Frank Allen of the Liberal team, Rebecca Seltz of the Conservatives, and Abby Clargo of Labour. Uh, Frank, as you wrote the prompt article, my opener is to you. What is the state of play in terms of the rise of anti-Semitism, and what is causing this? I think anti-Semitism is definitely on the rise and many, many sources, including CST, the ADL, have all confirmed that this rise is um, quite, you know, quite um, fast. Um, I think it'd be good to like define anti-Semitism in this debate first. So I'd say um, we should take the IHRA definition, which is the official one adopted by the UK um, and the one that is you know, most advocated for use by Jewish groups. Um, so anti-Semitism in this case includes harming Jewish people in any form, um, promoting demonizing stereotypical allegations about Jewish people and Jews as a collective, um, promoting Jews and Jewish people as a collective as a cause of events, Holocaust denial in any form, denying the right for Jewish people to self-determination, making Jews as a collective responsible for Israel's policies and using anti-Semitic symbolism to name but a few. And I think if we include these whole, all of these attitudes as anti-Semitisms, we can probably see its rise down to five main causes. Um, as, as of course, there are many, many different causes, but I feel like these are the five ones that come to mind. So populism on the left and the right is probably one of the biggest ones. Um, populism in this case, I'll take it to find ordinary people against the elites. Um, and this often sort of veered into anti-Semitic tropes um, and includes aggressive nationalism, as Joseph mentioned in his response. Um, uh, which promotes the supremacy of a certain group against another. Then there is a conflict between Israel and Palestine, which is being used as an excuse for religious divides. Um, and, there's so and there's social media, such as 4chan, Twitter, etc., which is encouraging echo chambers of anti-Semites. And then finally, there is what has been called in America the culture wars, where there is a reaffirmation of old conservative beliefs and their attachments, particularly with reference to like Christianity. So traditional Catholicism is on the rise. And with that, old attitudes to anti-Semitism. Okay, Abby, you just heard the five principal causes that What? How do you view the rise of these causes? Do you think they're different ones? What are your thoughts? Sorry, Alex, could you repeat the question? Uh, sorry, I was addressing that to, to Abby. I was going to say, you, you've heard the five causes, the, the primary causes that Frank has outlined. What do you think are the primary causes? Do you agree with Frank? Yeah, I mean, largely, I definitely agree with Frank. I think everything he said is definitely right. Um, I think, yeah, anti-Semitism is just something that 
has sadly kind of had this um, insurgence over the last few years. And I think the media doesn't help. Um, obviously, we have this whole debate in UK politics between the Labour and the Conservatives at the moment. Well. Um, um, and yeah, I just, I don't know exactly where it's come from. I think we need to try and target the causes, but obviously we have to identify those first. But yeah, largely I agree with everything Frank said. Rebecca, how do you think? Um, so I definitely agree with both Frank and Abby. It's a massive issue. Um, it's been in the media a little bit more recently, but it is on the rise, no doubt about it. But I think that um, it's always been there. It's always been there. And the only reason why maybe it's being spoken about a little bit more at the moment is because it's being reported a little bit more in the media. I think people for a long time have been oblivious to how present it really really has has been okay but yeah. let's let's come back to you let's touch on populism obviously with with brexit and the election of donald trump both in uh, the year 2016 populism has seen a massive rise in the west what specifically is the link between populism and anti-semitism so i feel with populism it encourages this this will of the people against the will of the elites, quote unquote, and it creates two distinct camps. Um, and the will of the people, because there is no real definition of what the people is, um, is normally taken to be the majority group. Um, in America, that comes under white Christians um, and more specifically white evangelical Christians. And if you want to look into somewhere like Hungary or Poland, it comes against, it comes in the form of Polish white nationalism, uh, Catholic nationalism as well. And then in Hungary, it's white Hungarian nationalism. And all those elements sort of demonize a typical scapegoat, which has played a part in their politics throughout their history. Um, and that is the Jewish people. And as Rebecca rightly notes, the anti-Semitic tropes which have been present throughout history are starting to make a resurgence in different forms. For example, there's a horrible meter, there's a horrible rumor going around that, you know, quote unquote, the Jews control um, the media and the finances, which is being promoted by people like Orban, who is the Hungarian populist leader. Um, and then there are, there are issues with dual loyalty, which is being promoted by people like Trump, saying that these people aren't actually loyal to the USA, which is, again, a complete rumor um, and also very, very anti-Semitic. Um, and I feel like those issues are extremely tied to populism. And then you're on the left wing, you've got this idea of you know, it basically the same tropes, but repeated through an anti-capitalist lens. Um, and you can see that with a lot of the rhetoric within the UK Labour Party. You can see it within how different left-wing groups across the world, including France with um, Mélenchon, and how he promotes anti-Semitic conspiracy theories through anti-capitalist lenses. Um, and I think it's worth considering that populism is not a, not a pro for the people. It's actually an enemy of the people but it creates the illusion that there are two distinct camps that cannot be reconciled. Um, and again, that fuels its own conspiracy theories and anti-Semitic tropes. Okay, thank you. Um, Abby, is anti-Semitism a problem of the left, the right, or, or both? It's definitely a problem for both. Um, I know I keep going back to UK politics um, and the Labour Party is definitely over the years, had, especially with Jeremy Corbyn as its leader, been deemed a lot more anti-Semitic than the right, maybe, for the most part. But it definitely exists across the board. It's not an issue of one or the other. I think it's an issue of individuals and certain groups of people. Um, and it's something that 
it doesn't doesn't really come into the political spectrum. I don't think it should because you could have a very left wing person who's anti-Semitic or a very right wing person. It's completely individual and it's something that needs to be cut out completely uh, because it's wrong. I think everyone here will agree that anti-Semitism is just, you know, it, why does it, it, it exist? It's a horrible thing. It shouldn't. And it's something we need to, your politics shouldn't come into it too much. It's something we should look at as humans and say, this is wrong. We need to get rid of it. How can we do this? Okay, and just carrying on with this, this British context that you mentioned, do you think the failure of Jeremy Corbyn to be elected um, was almost a revolt against this air of anti-Semitism in, you know, surrounding the Labour Party? It was quite far, you know, quite hard left on at that time. So um, Jeremy Corbyn not getting elected over Boris Johnson, is that what Yes, was that perhaps a reaction against the, uh, the association of anti-Semitism with the Labour Party at that time? Um, I think... It's probably one factor. Um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn, people say, oh, I don't like him. You say, why? And I think a lot of people say he's anti-Semitic, which is fair enough. Obviously, there's a lot of evidence for that. But I don't think that was the main reason. I think there were, there's a lot of other factors that come into it. And I think Frank covers it really well in his article, actually. You know, saying that it would be a good thing to think the British people are considering this anti-Semitism factor. But... Sadly, that's probably not the most important thing to them when they're choosing about who they're going to elect next. OK, uh, Rebecca, Frank mentioned institutional racism in his article. Do you think anti-Semitism is institutional or do you think it's more of an undercurrent, it's more cultural or societal? Um, I think it's both. I think certainly in the Labour Party, um, it is an issue of institutionalised anti-Semitism. Um, you know, I know so many Jewish people that have that have grown up with their families being heavily part of the Labour Party. And I know that when the election took place, um, the most recent election took place, a lot of those people felt like they had to leave the party because they'd faced issues of anti-Semitism. So it's certainly an issue of institutionalised anti-Semitism. And I think that when a person feels like they have to vote for another party, one that they don't even believe in because of their safety, there is an issue there. Um, I will build on what Rebecca says, actually, because I think that is worth mentioning that there has been instances of institutional anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. Um, one instance that springs to mind is um, the Louise Elman case. Um, Louise Elman was an MP for, I believe it was Liverpool Riverside, but you know, do correct me on that if I'm wrong. But she was a Labour of the um, Labour Party, um, sorry, member of the Labour Party for pretty much all of, you know, her political career from 1997 till 2000 and, um, well, till, till the late 2010s. And she um, herself is Jewish, served on the Labour Board for, um, you know, the party promotional wing for Israel um, and has, you know, left the party in the late 2010s because of the recent issues with anti-Semitism. And one of the issues that really highlighted this for her was the um, basically her vote of no confidence in her local sort of department of the party, where they voted for her um, to have like they basically had no confidence in her and they sent the vote in to be scheduled for Yom Kippur. Um, Yom Kippur is the holiest day for Jewish people. Um, and as a result, she could not actually attend that vote of no confidence. And the people on her local board knew that, that she couldn't attend because as a practicing Jew, she was fasting and atoning on Yom Kippur. 
Um, so that sort of move, I think, is not only politically underhanded, but is a perfect example of institutional anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Although, that being said, anti-Semitism, like Abby was saying, should um, not have just a political edge to it. And I think anti-Semitism exists on all sides of the spectrum. For example, um, John, as I mentioned earlier about Auburn, Johnson has himself um, congratulated Auburn on many occasions and, in fact, actually voted for Auburn's Fidesz party when they were... Um, on trial at the European Council for their human rights abuses. Um, Plymouth Conservative Society have mocked the Holocaust. Parliamentary candidates such as Sally Ann Hart and Lou Anderson and Richard Short have um, used anti-Semitic tropes. And Burko himself has said that he has experienced, who is a Conservative MP, mind you, has said that anti-Semitism has mostly come from Conservative MPs and rarely from Labour. Um, that is not to say, though, it doesn't exist on another level in Labour, um, such as with Chris Williamson, Naz Shah, Ken Livingston and Jackie Walker, um, and also Corbyn's attempt to change Holocaust Memorial Day into Genocide Memorial Day, which I think is particularly underhanded. But with that being said, yeah, I think it's uh, you have to take a broad approach here and be like, uh, populism, which is being encouraged by Corbyn on the left and by Johnson on the right, is one of the root causes here and needs to be struck out. I'd, um, I'd like to just ask a question, if I can, um, mainly to Rebecca, because it's about the Conservatives and Boris Johnson. So I know Joseph, in his response to Frank's article, um, points at Boris Johnson having making some anti-Semitic remarks in the past. So in his book, he describes Jewish, Jewish oligarchs who run the media and fix election um, and Jewish characters with a proud nose and curly hair, which is the quote he uses. Um, so how, why do you think maybe Boris Johnson doesn't get, doesn't have to put up with the same scrutiny that Jeremy Corbyn did. Um, obviously, he's scrutinised a lot by the media, but not necessarily um, because of his ties to anti-Semitism as much as Jeremy Corbyn was. I think that's a really, really good question, Abby. Um, I'm re quite glad you asked me that. Um, I do not condone any of what Boris Johnson has done with, um, with regards to anti-Semitism. It's wrong. What he wrote in the book perpetuated so many anti-Semitic stereotypes that have been really, really, really harmful to the Jewish community for so long. Um, I do, you know, it, it's a really, really tricky situation. I think with Boris Johnson, absolutely, is that, you know, what he, what he said was anti-Semitic. I have no doubt about that. When I look at the wider parties of you know Conservatives and Labour, I I just believe that the Labour Party is institutionally anti-Semitic, and I think that whilst anti-Semitism has gone on in the Conservative Party without a doubt, I don't think it's so ingrained into the party itself. I can admit that there are issues, and they're really really harmful. But I don't think that, you know, when you look at what happened with Louise Elman, like Frank said, I don't, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't think that it's to that extent. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, agree. I think with um, Corbyn, it has become a sort of an endemic issue. Um, and whether Corbyn himself actually harbours these attitudes is besides the question. He still promotes um, these sort of attitudes within the way he leads, uh, or led, in fact. And he you know, himself was cosy with people who denied the Holocaust, who supported Hamas, which is a terrorist organization with specific anti-Semitic aims. Um, and those sort of things are, I don't think, acceptable. So 
I don't. I do think Kiers. I think I should give big props to Kiers Delma because I think him tackling anti-Semitism is one of his big issues has really shifted my mindset on me because I I'm kind of on the fence, you know, in typical liberal fashion, and I'm undecided between Labour and Conservatives, and definitely both contain anti-Semitism. And I think Keir Starmer's head-on approach is, you know, something I, I really appreciate. And I think his attempts to try and tackle it are, you know, going in the right vein, such as with the sacking of Rebecca Long-Bailey. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that the situation with Rebecca Long-Bailey, you know, a lot of people would debate it and they'd say, you know, what she said was anti-Israel. Well, the, sorry, the, the article that she promoted was anti-Israel. It wasn't anti-Semitic, but I completely disagree with that. I think that the article that she shared perpetuated anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. The article, it was, it was terrible. The article, the article argued that the technique that the officers who murdered George Floyd used was taught to them by Israeli secret services. And this is extremely anti-Semitic because it continues that idea um, that the stereotype that Jews are responsible for the, all the wrong in the world and it is really really dangerous and it it was really really worrying because you know she had such a prominent voice in the party and that's only like that only scratches the surfaces of the deep-rooted anti-Semitism in the Labour Party and another thing that um I just thought of whilst we're talking about that was um Corbyn you know, after loads of this happened, Corbyn was urged to visit Auschwitz and speak to pupils at um, the Jewish Free School in Kenton, which is, um, I believe it's the biggest Jewish school in Europe, actually. Um, and he was, he was, um, so it was suggested that he went to those, to Auschwitz and JFS to repair ties with the Jewish community. And he did reject these ideas. He refused to do the bare minimum. And through those actions, there was just a complete disregard for the Jewish community. He didn't even care to at least seem as if, seem as if he cared, if you, if you know what I mean. But um, yeah, it's an issue, undoubtedly. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the sacking of Rebecca Long-Bailey was needed and it was necessary, I think, for Keir Starmer to do because he's almost set a precedent now for his Labour Party and said that this is any sort of anti-Semitism is completely unacceptable, which I think that's something Jeremy Corbyn didn't do um, under Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. It was almost like people could get away with it because they knew that he wouldn't take almost these extreme measures and sack people for retweeting um, articles or anything like that. I think Keir Starmer really needed to do that to set the precedent. OK, just to move the, uh, the debate on slightly, would you encourage the British government to put its money where its mouth is? And what I mean by that is, would you encourage them to dissociate themselves with states whose official governmental policy is that of anti-Semitism? So a European example would be Hungary, a Middle Eastern example would be Saudi Arabia. Would you encourage the British government to you know, step away from, from these people perpetuating these, these conspiracies and stereotypes? Let's start with Frank. I completely agree. I think there, there's definitely like an element of pragmatism to it, like with the whole issue of Saudi Arabia and oil. But I think there are more, you know, to be honest, there are better ethical ways. I mean, Saudi Arabia is not only a regime built on anti-Semitism, but it's also built off of the backs of millions of enslaved laborers, off of a Wahhabist system, which gives women very few rights, um, off of a, it. It's a very chauvinistic system. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, Saudi Arabia, in, in my opinion, should not be our ally. And again, with Hungary, Hungary is being led by the anti-democratic Viktor Orban, 
who has taken extreme efforts to curb the effort uh, to curb the um, um, the influence of you know independent courts. And it's the same with Poland as well. Poland is doing things like they're rewriting a Holocaust history to serve Polish nationalistic purposes, which I think is disgusting. Um, I think the UK, because it's stuck between a rock and a hard place now, thanks to Brexit, has, in my opinion, jumped to alliances with very anti-EU governments, such as um, Andrzej Duda's government and Viktor Orban's government, um, and to an extent, actually, Trump's government. And I think, you know, these connections are fickle, to say the least. Like, they will fizzle out, and, you know, if they're supported by anti-democratic, illiberal sort of... Um, like regimes, then I think they will end up imploding. Like it's like it's like the whole relationship between the USA and Russia during World War II. Russia and the USA ideologically opposed, yet allied to fight Germany, which was you know a very good thing. Um, and then as a result, there that sort of imploded on them, um, and they ended up in a situation where you, know, you had two competing forces now. Okay, and Rebecca, same question to you. Do you think we should distance ourselves from anti-Semitic government? A hundred percent, without a doubt. I, all I can say is yes. I completely agree with everything that Frank said. Yeah. Okay, so there's no strategic argument that would kind of dissuade you from doing so, you know, ties to oil, you know, regional um, assets, nothing like that. I mean, obviously these things are really, really important and they complicate the issue a lot. But, you know, I'm speaking as someone that is Jewish, so you know, it's something that's really, really important to me. And it's something that has, in my opinion, hasn't been dealt with. And if we don't ever deal with, you know, if we don't deal with it now, when are we going to? Mm -hmm. And Abby, of course, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm the same. I agree with everything Frank said. Um, I don't think we should have these allies. Um, I don't think many people feel comfortable knowing that we have ties with really anti-Semitic governments. But if you look at the ethics of the current government, do I think it's likely that we're going to kind of step away from these alliances? I don't think it is. I think it's unlikely to happen. I think it should happen, but I can't see it happening anytime soon. Okay, and now to address some of the elephant in the room. Now, Abby, can you criticise Israel without being anti-Semitic? Um, I think it's a very complex issue, definitely. It's not as black and white and saying yes or no but I think the Israel-Palestine argument is it's so difficult to put into words because it's you know anti-semitism comes into it of course it does but it's kind of the context around it is a little bit different I would say um I really tried to word this carefully sorry um I yeah I think you can have views on you know Israel-Palestine without being anti-semitic definitely but, you know, it's, it's a fine line. And I think it really depends on what you're saying, if that makes sense. Um, and kind of the intent, the intent behind it and where that's coming from. I hope that made sense. Yeah, I want to develop on what Abby said there, because I think approach is key when it comes to Israel and the whole anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism thing. Because in many cases, the fruit really doesn't fall too far from the tree. Anti-Zionism often opens up a space for anti-Semitism, is a route for scapegoating, like, for example, um, seven, a poll taken by CNN, FBI, um, ADL, and a group of other organizations has basically tested anti-Semitic attitudes across the globe. Um, sample size, you know, willing. I 
come, it came to the conclusion that 74% of Middle Eastern um, people held anti-Semitic attitudes. And a lot of these were connected to anti-Zionism and prior anti-Semitism. For example, um, the pogrom against Iraqi Jews, the Farhood, in 1941. Um, whether the correlation implies causation, that's another question. But also from personal experience, I lived in the Middle East, um, which shouldn't be a surprise, it's right in the middle of my bio. But um, one of the things I thought when I was coming into, the, like I was coming into a changing room after PE and like splattered across the wall was like graffiti saying, you know, F Israel, F the Jews. Uh, there was obvious like connection between the two. And, you know, the punishment was not harsh enough, I feel, for that. Um, but, it, you know, most people, I, I found it shocking because I was in a very uncomfortable position because most people were like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that graffiti had a point. And I was like, that, that was horrible. Like, it was a really uncomfortable situation to be in. Um, many times anti-Zionists can weaponize anti-Semitism. Um, and I think, you know, thinking more pragmatically, um, anti-Zionism by definition at the moment is unrealistic. Like, for example, Mahmoud Abbas, who is the leader of Hamas, wrote his doctorate on Holocaust denial. Um, the Palestinian media itself is viciously anti-Semitic. For example, in the, in the same poll, it counted that 96% of Palestinians harbour anti-Semitic attitudes. Um, and likewise, though, if we look at the flip side, there is like an argument to be made that, you know, there are many anti-Semites who also support Israel. Um, Balfour himself, who created the Balfour Declaration, which, you know, called into, you know, efficient, like called into, um, I can't think of a word, um, basically it called into creation the state of Israel. Um, he, he called the Jews an alien and hostile people, quote unquote. And, you know, those are 100% anti-Semitic attitudes, but yet he was a Zionist himself. And then there are the Christian Zionists, who are those people who believe that we should have the Jews return to Israel so that the second Messiah can come and then save us Christians whilst damning the Jews. So which is inherently an anti-Semitic attitude. And I don't think at the same time that, you know, anti-Zionism means you can't critique Israel. I think criticism of Israel is absolutely necessary. Um, it, like, for example, Yesh Din, which is uh, itself, um, this is, again, relying on Jack Walton's article, which I think, you know, highly recommend, very thorough examination of the situation. His reliance on um, the data from Yesh Din says that, you know, the, the Israel state is an apartheid state and it treats its um, Arab citizens as second-class citizens. And that's coming from an Israeli organization itself. Um, so I think we should be open to criticizing the blatant mistreatment of, you know, its Arab citizens. But we should not firstly deny the state, uh, we should not deny the self-determination of the Israeli people. Uh, sorry, the, pardon me, and, and the Jewish people as well. Sorry, excuse my language. Um, but secondly, also, we shouldn't let this be a scapegoat for um, anti-Semitic attitudes, um, which it can very easily be. Okay. Um, Sorry, Karen. Yeah, I was just about to bring you in, Rebecca. Please, Karen. So, thank you. Um, so I think I, I, I love what both Abby and Frank said. Um, and I think when addressing the topic of Zionism, it's really, really important to bring ourselves back to the actual meaning of it, because it, over time, it, it really does get lost in the conversation and people don't necessarily always understand the actual definition. And fundamentally, Zionism is a movement for Jewish self-determination and Israel's right to exist. It does not call for Israel to oppress Palestinians, and it does not call for unconditional support of the Israeli government and military. So, you know, Zionism is, you know, a Jewish state is absolutely fundamental. It is, because if we are to not have a Jewish state, there is nowhere 
that is 100% safe for Jewish people. I can't always walk... Okay. Um, with, a mug, with a Star of David necklace and feel safe, whereas a Christian person could wear a cross on their neck, not an issue. I don't necessarily get all my Jewish holidays, but I could get that in Israel. In Israel, you can really easily source kosher food. There's so many different elements to it that people don't realise are uh, important because they get it every day in the UK. Um, so yes, a Jewish state is absolutely fundamental. However, what is not okay is the, treat is the way that Palestinians are being treated. And yes, you can absolutely be critical of the Israeli government. I myself do not agree with the Israeli government at all in how they treat Palestinians. You know, the annexation of the West Bank, completely wrong. I have no problem with criticizing Israel, but to be anti-Zionist is anti-Semitic. You, you, you can be a Zionist and be critical of Israel. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I would I back um, Rebecca on that point, and I think you know it's a definitely like a very murky situation. Um, but yeah, I do think you know if we're going by the IHRA definition, you know, to deny the Jewish people their self determination is anti-Semitism, and you know, it should be called out as such. Um, but you know, there is always the issue of like, but anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism, like I've just exposed, are very. Inter like they, they're very complex um especially anti-zionism very complex issues like again like anti-zionists can be anti-semites and pro-zionists can also be anti-semites um so there is that whole you know gray area okay thank you very much everybody i think that's all we have time for this week you've been joined by frank rebecca uh, abby clago and myself thank you very much <laughs>